Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Okay. Well, that was amazing because we are now live on the Must Read Alaska show. You got a special oh. treat of the mayor blowing his nose, uh, which is hilarious. But thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And uh, man, it is a sunny day here on the Kenai Peninsula. Things are looking awesome. And, uh, you know, um, for those of you that saw the uh, presidential, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, I guess, speech last night. It'd be, I'd be interested to hear what folks think about it in the comment zones. We've posted a couple of memes about it. I've um, heard both from the Republicans and some Democrats on how they thought it was literally the worst speech backdrop that they've ever seen in their whole life. Talk about the red one, the red backdrop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I saw some of that. And uh, so without further ado, I want to welcome uh, Mayor Jim to the Must Read Alaska show. May mayor Jim is the, is the mayor up in Fairbanks. Mayor, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. John, I don't have a red background. Mine's more blurred. I think that's more appropriate for speaking. <laughs> <laughs> or the Beatles one that I showed you earlier. Yeah, the Beatles one's pretty cool. So, yeah. Mayor, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in politics. We'll kind of get into Fairbanks here in a little bit. But give us that story about, you know, what first spurred you on to want to throw your name in the hat and run for office. Well, I appreciate that. First of all, thanks, John, for uh, the time we're spending here on Must Read Alaska. I appreciate it very much. And, you know, normally, normally I cite high school when I got the bug. But if I go back a little bit further into the 70s, my parents were pretty active around Fairbanks with political campaigns. And we always had, you know, uh, fundraisers and parties at my parents' house here on Kodiak Street. And when I was little, I volunteered and helped on uh, Governor Hickel's uh, campaign when I was really little with my mom, and we gave out Wally Pops, which were like lollipops, but they were Wally Pops. It was kind of funny, uh, and that was kind of fun. And I got to be around a lot of adults as a child. And but really, what bit me the most is when I was in government class at Lathrop High School, and my teacher, my government teacher Terry Marquette, brought a TV set into the class that day. It was government honors class, and. And he said, we're not going to have class. We're going to turn the news on and watch the news. And what the news was, was President Reagan's attempted assassination. So we watched, we watched the live feed for a long time. And then I spent the next couple of weeks and months watching how he recovered and how he went back, you know, into the Senate chambers and just watching him. And then, and then he was the president during my early 20s up until I hit 30. So uh, so watching him and then getting a job with the Chamber of Commerce and volunteering like crazy for different organizations led me to my very first race officially in 2000 when I ran for the borough assembly. There was a crowded field of seven brand new first time people running. So I didn't win that seat. And then life took a turn. I had more children. And then finally, by 2010 is when I decided to run for local city council and I won and I got reelected in 13, and I was really honored for that. And then I ran for mayor in 16, and then reelected again in 
19. So 2010 is when really things took off with actually getting elected. But before that was a lot of building blocks that I was doing. That's awesome. Well, and hearing a lot of folks' stories on the Mustard Alaska show, oftentimes I um, interview folks and they lost their first or second race. Tell me a little bit about, you know, picking yourself up by the bootstraps and, and, and trying again. And, and do you think that that's important in the political world? Yeah. You know, I was speaking to a group of kids the other day who came to, came to a city hall and we were talking about political life and, and unsocial media and proper discourse and talking to people. We were going through all of that. And somebody asked me if I ever lost a race and that was a good question. And I said, yeah, I actually lost in 2000. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't happy that I lost, but I learned so much. And I had such a fun time running for that office, John, because like I said, there were seven of us and we were all branched six or seven. It was a lot of people more than ever. And so I came in second place in that race, Tory Foote, Victoria Foote won, but I had so much fun running and it was a borough seat. So it was a bigger, bigger swath of people. I, I learned that a lot of people want to tell you their issues, uh, their opinions, some good, some not so good, but it really taught me how to learn more. And I was sharing with you before we went live that I was in radio for 20 years up here uh, from 84 through 2004 working in radio. And I did talk shows like you're doing. And I worked on the radio and I worked with music. So I learned how to interview and talk. And so being a politician, and I hate the term, but that's kind of what we all are at times, it's sharpened my communication skills. Uh, so the loss in 2000 was no big deal. I, I, I figure it's kind of God's plan. I've been trying to following his plan as best I can, falling down, getting back up, and then here I am today. Nice. Well, tell tell me, so for sometimes that, you know, I talk to folks and they get a little confused because Fairbanks has a borough mayor, and then Fairbanks has a mayor mayor for the city. Can you give us like a elevator talk on the difference of the two? There's a borough and there's a city, just so folks kind yeah. of get a, a clear picture of the kind of political structure up there. I can. So I'm a visual learner. So, and because I'm a disc jockey, I will use this trusty compact disc. <laughs> so in the center hole, this centered hole, that is Fairbanks. This outer rim is the borough. So we are a city in the middle of a borough. So that's where I'll start. And the city of Fairbanks is a home rule city, which simply means there's a strong mayor form of government, which means that I run the city council meetings. I'm in charge of all human resources and HR hiring and firing. And I oversee 200 employees that serve the 31,000 people in the city, the inner pole. Mayor Bryce Ward runs the borough around us. They're an unorganized, second-class borough, excuse me, they're a second-class borough. And so his group is run by their presiding officer on the borough assembly, much like Anchorage. If you look at Anchorage, they're a borough, they're a municipality. So Mayor Bronson doesn't run his own meetings. The presiding officer does for the Anchorage Assembly. So Mayor Ward has his own scope of responsibilities, which is uh, property taxes, zoning issues, uh, and he doesn't have any police or fire because out in the borough, you've got volunteer fire departments and you've got the Alaska State Troopers who provide the police for the borough. Once in a while, of course, our city police department makes a run out to help. 
uh, and that kind of thing. And then as city mayor, because we're a strong form, mayor, a strong mayor form of government, I oversee police and fire, our own public works department. And my, my four main priorities for the city are police and fire protection, pick up your trash and plow your roads. And along with plowing the roads is patching the roads and, and, and such. So those are my four basic duties. And then I partner with Mayor Ward and farther up the road, there's a mayor in North Pole and, and that's uh, Mayor Mike Welch and the three local mayors help one another. Um, so, but something else kind of interesting, not only do you have the borough and you got the city, over here, you got UAF, which is like its own individual government, which is the state. Then you got the you got the, the Fairbanks Airport, which has its own fire and police. You got Fort Wainwright, which has its own fire and police. And up the road, you got North Pole, and then you got Ielson. So you got all these governmental agencies and people and departments all working together. And you got Gina Hot Springs that's probably going to, you know, annex out and become its own country here in a little bit. You know, we're such a huge (laughs) area. There's 100,000 people. When people ask me how many people live in the interior, it's about 100,000, give or take. It's a lot. Yeah, it's 100,000 people in a state that's huge. Like you said earlier, stretches from Minnesota down to Texas, from California to Florida and all places in between. So uh, but we're a tight knit group up here. We're so landlocked uh, that we all. We, we get along really well. I mean, we're not immune to problems and, and things, but on the whole, you know, because we're so far up in the middle of the state and so landlocked, like I mentioned, uh, it's not out of control. Uh, we've been able to work pretty well on the local issues. That's awesome. So um, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, Fairbanks's economy, because, you know, you're up there, you're trapped, you're landlocked, you do have a road to you, but it's it's a very unique situation. It's uh, probably, um, there's probably not too many uh, cities like yourself around the United States that, you know, it takes four, five, six hours to get from one super inhabited city to the, you know, down to Anchorage. So tell us a little bit about the economy in Fairbanks, what makes it churn and what makes it burn? It's a good question. Well, you know, one of the biggest things for the interior is tourism. And we have a local entity called Explore Fairbanks. And Explore Fairbanks has managed to not only put Fairbanks and the interior on the map since the 80s, when it was first known as Fairbanks Convention and Visitors Bureau, the FCVB, they've also turned winter tourism as popular or more so than summer tourism. It's been amazing what they do. So that's a huge economic driver for us, which of course, took a big hit and I won't even say the C word because I'm trying to move past that whole thing. <laughs> let's, just, let's write this last two years off as an anomaly, please, John. Uh, so, and then obviously we have, we have coal uh, in the interior on Healy. We've got uh, timber tourism. You know, we also have a lot of uh, the native organizations and the native villages come into town for different things. And that's also economy driven the state of Alaska employees are a huge part of our economy, which is the UAF in our campus. One of our hugest, that's not even the right word, sorry, big radio guy. Making up words. <laughs> You're making, hey, making up words, I like it. I was never hooked on phonics, so. One of our, well, it's like that Will Ferrell strategery when he was <laughs> playing George Bush. Anyway, uh, we, can't, we can't forget, you know, the military. Uh, the military, uh, Fort Wainwright and Ielson, I often say that we'd be a ghost town without the military. 
uh, because they come here, they raise their families here, they buy homes here, they rent here, and we have the largest uh, number of uh, retirees, military retirees in the whole country in Alaska, not just here, but the whole state. So the military, the university, the state employees, you know, the cannabis, obviously, since it's been uh, legalized, is has leaned into being an economic driver in, in some ways, too. Um, so there's several uh, economics uh, in Alaska and in Fairbanks, but tourism, UAF, the state of Alaska government employees, uh, military, those are those are big ones. Well, that's nice to have some of those, you know, foundational blocks for your economy, because oftentimes when you don't have, you know, you guys have several, oftentimes communities don't even have one. So, um, you know, count your lucky stars that you have that because, man, I live out here on the Kenai Peninsula and when Agrium left, it was a huge hit. So um, I, uh, I, I think that uh, it's good to have stuff like tourism and, you know, uh, the university and and military to kind of be that foundation of your economy. So one one of the things I saw a couple of weeks, I think it was like last week, and I posted the picture on our Mustard Alaska page was the a picture of a Healy electrical vehicle uh, charging station, and on it there's a big sticker that says "Powered by Coal." <laughs> I saw that. I saw that picture. Boy, that sure is turned into it's some funny. It, it, well, it is a little, and there's another picture I saw of a gas powered car bringing a generator to an electric yeah, car, so you know, funny. and charging up. It is kind of funny. There's no reason why these things can't coexist. I understand the market for, I do, but you, you can't, you can't deny the irony and the humor around it. I mean, it's, it's humorous, of course. Um, and so we need to laugh a little more at this kind of stuff. And if you want to buy an electric car, go ahead. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine our entire country moving from A to B, which has been talked about on a major scale, you know, in the country. No, we have 330 million people in this country, John, and yeah. every one of them are free. Every one of them are free. So when you have that many people with that much freedom, which I wouldn't trade for anything, you're going to have differences of ideas, opinions, and, and people who think differently, which is a blessing to our country. We don't all, we're not all like this and have to, the government telling us to think one way. Yep. So what are some, does Fairbanks have, you know, some major projects that, you know, I'm sure that uh, since you've been mayor there since 2016, maybe you've been working on some huge federal project or state conjunction project. What are some of those projects around the city or borough that um, are maybe on the cusp of getting started or getting completed that you're excited about? Well, if you ask the average citizen in town today what's frustrating them the most this summer, they'll tell you construction work. And I have to agree with them. I'm very optimistic and I'm always positive. Hey, when it's done, it's going to be great. But you can't deny the fact that every road you turn on, there's cones and they're redirecting you. So and that's that's good. There's some local projects we're doing in conjunction with the state and big state projects. We're replacing some bridges, which is fantastic. We have some of the oldest bridges in the country up here. <clears throat> <clears throat> and we have a new one that got put up last year. And now they're working on our main one downtown, the Cushman Street Bridge. So I'd say road construction projects are, are huge right now. And we're getting a lot done because when you live in the Arctic, you know, the, all the roads take a beating all the time. You, you're constantly repairing. You're constantly filling holes. You're constantly filling potholes. So that's a big one. Uh, in recent months, since I've been mayor and the new mayor will take over, in a few months is the Polaris building. You've heard the stories about the Polaris building. 
I, I personally uh, like to thank you know the interior delegation. Uh, the main thrust behind this was Senator Murkowski, but Senator Sullivan certainly uh, rang the bell on that, and so did Congressman Young when he was alive. And now we have a $10 million pot of money that came through the infrastructure program wow. through one of those buckets, because we don't have that kind of money, John. The, the city of Fairbanks is very lean ran. It's just we don't have tons of money laying around after we pay all the bills, which is good. We don't want to collect more than we need. And we just didn't have $10 million. And it's our largest building downtown. It's our little skyscraper because that's, you know, it's, it's our tallest building that needs to come down. So that's going to come down next summer under someone else's watch, but it doesn't matter. It was a huge score for Fairbanks that we got that money. All right. Nice. And other, other projects are tearing down problem properties, tackling homelessness, opioid issues, which are, are, are bad things. But when you're making headway, that's a project that you like to see right? <clears throat> Major project. And then the state's got a huge roundabout. I'm sure you've seen the stories on the GARS roundabout right in front of Fort Wainwright. There's a lot of jokes around roundabouts. You know, I, I use them properly. They never really give me a problem. Yeah, they can be confusing. I get all that, but it also helps the flow of traffic. So it's a love-hate thing up here with, with roundabouts. Um, so there are a lot of projects that are going on uh, around town. That's awesome. What, why do you think there's you know, <clears throat> never been that gas line that has come up to Fairbanks. Always, it seems like every time we have a big, um, you know, uh, governor's race or something like that, it seems to be mentioned. It doesn't ever seem to be a focal point, but it seems, you know, folks mentioning it and then they'll look into it and then nothing happens and then they'll look into it and nothing happens. Why do you think it's never happened? Uh, what's your take on it? Everything always boils down to politics and money when you talk about these large things. If you go to the Fedco offices in town, which is the Fairbanks Economic Development Corporation, they've got a, a great poster on their wall from like the late 50s, you know, oil on the way or gas on the way. And <laughs> from of, the 50s. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. <laughs> but, you know, we've come closer each time. But, you know, these things do take time. And there's always other priorities that come into play or projects or you know, if you had the same leaders for 30 straight years all across the board, you get you get a lot more things done. But new leaders come in and new governors come in and new council folks, and new mayors. And all of a sudden they try to shift their things. That's why sometimes you see unfinished roads done or half a bridge or something. It just the priorities constantly change. Where I think you ought to just write that check, move into the project and get it done, period. Because, you know, some people have hooked up to natural gas up here. There is some people that have been trying really hard. They have put in the, the big tank over here, you know, uh, the LNG plant. Uh, so we're getting steps to get there finally. And we've made some real progress, but to me, it's personalities, politics and money and things that always seem to sideline these things, which we know are important and we know they're there. They know, we know they need to be done, but you keep putting it off. Yeah, if somebody uh, doesn't think it's a big deal, go to Fairbanks in mid-January and uh, have fun breathing outside because, you know, that uh, smoke just sits there. And what, you know, that that's uh, how people, I don't think a lot of people realize there's, you know, people on the show that have never been to, listening to the show that have never even been to Alaska. Fairbanks has one of the biggest temp temperature variances, I think, in the United States. It'll get into the 90s in the summer and what negative 30 or 40 or 50 in the winter 
Yeah, we have one of the, when I worked on the riverboat discovery here for two summers, I narrated the, the cruise for tourists every day. It was a lot of fun, 2012 and 13. And I had to go through these, you know, these things that you just mentioned, bullet points about Alaska. Some of them I never knew until I learned and read it. And one of them is uh, that uh, we do have one of the largest temperature swings in the entire world here. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, Siberia does too, some areas over there, but because we're in the middle of this bowl and we don't have a ton of wind. I mean, we have wind occasionally, but we just stay steady all the time. So it's either 50 below. And I remember it 60 below when I was a kid here to 90, 92, 93 degrees. That's a huge gap. I mean, it's a huge gap. And so it's going to take its toll on people. It's going to take its toll on, you know, the roads in town and without any wind and you're sitting at 40 below and you got every car in town running. And you got auto start running all day long, and you got this big mass over the city, which is, of course, the EPA. We violate the EPA rules almost every winter, so that's why we're trying to convert people, you know, to clean coal and and don't burn everything in your, you know, in your fireplace. But John, keep in mind that when heating oil is through the roof, it becomes a matter of life or death. People will do oh, yeah. anything, anything, and I get it. I know it's not right. But what are you going to do when you have to heat? Yeah, when it's negative 20 or 30, huh. uh, you're just going to do whatever it takes to get warm because you literally will die if you don't. And so it's totally understandable. And that's, you know, I always thought, man, a gas line is going to cost a lot of money up to Fairbanks. But if I'm a gas company, I'm like, I'm going to make a crazy amount of money in the winter there. It might be a good investment. So, you know, I really hope you guys eventually get that. But, you know, like you said, whichever way the wind blows, a new politician, a new whatever, and uh, you just never know. And I, I look back on some of these projects that um, Alaska has been talking about for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you, I wonder what a difference it would have made if somebody just pulled the trigger done on day one, as opposed to inching along for you know 20 or 30 yeah. years so um, you have so many people that share their their own opinions about it you know and you hire experts and people to talk about it and then you know look how economy can change in a matter of three or four years when you start oh, yeah. planning and with, with covid i know i said the c word but you know look what it did to a lot of things it kind of grinded things to a halt and so you just never know what's to be expected when you have a five-year project or whatever it's so you've had you've had you know a fairly successful political career. You've been on the city council. You've been the mayor, and uh, running the day to day you know operations as a chief administrative officer for the city of Fairbanks. What are who's somebody that you've looked up to as a hero over the years, um, and uh, wh why do you look up to them? <clears throat> That's a good question. And, you know, it, and I could I could I could say the obvious ones like my, my dad and my mom and everything, but, you know, outside of my own family, which I think, you know, they deserve a lot of praise. And my first political hero was Reagan. And that's, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I came up, I was, I was pretty young when Jimmy Carter was president, but I, but once I turned 18, 19, 20, 21, I watched Reagan. I watched him on the national stage and I started reading books about him and and how he was playful and had a good sense of humor and sometimes was detached from the job too. I mean, he, everybody has their foibles. I mean, every person that holds an office like that. So I became really interested in presidents in general. And I would say Lincoln was a hero. I loved some of the things he stood for and some of the things he made history with. 
Uh, I read books about John F. Kennedy, and I thought he did some amazing things and what a visionary he was. And I don't care if you have an R or D next to your name or an I or anything else. Everybody brings something good to leadership, I believe. And you have to take the best of those people. So my, my political hero was probably somebody like Ronald Reagan, for sure. And then, you know, music, you know, I'm a music fanatic nut that I sleep and eat and drink. So I, I'm kind of a Paul McCartney nut. And I really appreciated his contributions to music and just pop culture in general, the Beatles. Yeah, I did say the Beatles and, and you could decipher their lyrics all day long. And I think that when I gave a, I gave a speech recently to some high schoolers and I said, you know, one of the things you, you should do in your life is listen to the Beatles and check out some of those lyrics. And people thought that was funny, but you know, not, 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 not bad words to live by when music is part of your life. Like it's been part of mine. Um, so Ronald Reagan, Paul McCartney and other world leaders, of course, have always been the people I've looked at and locally in town, you know, I was good friends with Wayne Nelson, a prior mayor, Jerry Cleaworth taught me a lot about, uh, leadership. I worked alongside of him, you know, other people in this town that I really, Bernard Gatewood, I served with him on the city council. I really praise him for helping me through some things. So my list of heroes is long. That's awesome. And, you know, Ronald Reagan is the original Make America Great Again slogan uh, maker for his presidential campaign. So um, a lot of folks my age and younger don't realize that it was Reagan that actually coined that phrase. So I think Reagan is a good guy to look up to. And man, he is um, he's one of those presidents that a lot of people on this show in particular look up to. So that's awesome to hear that he's one of your heroes. I think that that's awesome. So um, one of the questions I have for your mayor is taking off your mayor hat. Um, you're running for office. Tell folks about mm -hmm. what you're running for and how that campaign is going uh, for folks that are listening in and, and uh, hearing you for the first time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It, I've always wanted to follow the path of a slow climb, right? That's why I started on city council, because I believe that local government's kind of where it's at. There are people that go from zero to 100. They'll, they'll be at home and then they'll run for something really big. And sometimes it works and that's great. But I chose the, the way to go up slow, build my base, city council, city mayor. And now I'm running for state senate to represent the interior of Alaska, because we have an interior delegation of House members and Senate members. So I decided to run for a seat. Uh, Senator Kawasaki, Scott Kawasaki, who's been in Juneau for, I think, 16 years now. And, and a lot of those years in the House, now he's in the Senate. And his re-election is coming up the same as mine. So I kind of looked about a year ago and said, this makes good sense to try to move and keep the, keep the momentum going, you know, really, because uh, I just love public service. So I am running for State Senate, and with the redistricting now, John, it's uh, districts 31 and 32, which encompasses most of Fairbanks, uh, pretty much all of Fairbanks, and then all of Wainwright and some on Badger Road in the North Pole zip code area. Um, and that's known as Seat P. So uh, the campaign has been tremendous. I've been really flattered, actually, and humbled uh, by all the support. The primary looked really good. I know you covered a lot of the primary. I think I was two and a half points back. And there's a there's a third person, another Republican, you know, ranked choice. I was really curious how that would all play out, you know, because just this week, you know, everything was has changed for the Congress, you know, for the state. Uh, but I I just feel great. I, I love running. I like uh, knocking and talking, as they say. Uh, and so does Senator Kawasaki, and he's very good at it too. 
but being a local Fairbanks guy, I think that I can bring the same enthusiasm that I did uh, mastering uh, uh, communications with the public like I have been, try to be a go-to person, respectful, polite, because I didn't make everybody happy as mayor. I, I know that 100%, but I was never less than polite to people, if nothing else. And I'll bring that same discourse down to Juno. And it's been a dream of mine since high school, really, to go to Juno to ultimately serve the interior. That's awesome. So you're running against Senator Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. What, uh, you know, as you're knocking on doors and whatnot, what are some things that set you apart from him in terms of policy? Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, one of the advantages I do have, and this goes with other people who haven't had a chance to be elected yet, if this is their first time reaching for the Senate or the House, I've been able to be on a city council and be elected as mayor. So I've had four terms in a row, right? So I've been able to balance budgets really well, be in the ground floor for local ordinances and changes that have come up. And I can bring that to to Juneau. Senator Kawasaki, of course, also served on the city council. So I'm not saying he never served locally. Uh, But when it comes to policy, everybody talks about the two biggies, which are like permanent fund. Everybody talks about permanent fund and social issues. Uh, You know, since I've never served in the Senate or the House, and I studied a lot on the PFD, I have to kind of look and figure that out a little bit more. You know, if I start talking like an expert, I won't won't be an expert. Uh, So the PFD seems to be a little polarizing with a lot of people and how much should we get? How do we get it? What's the equation? What's the math? How does that work? Well, that's my dog, sorry. Uh, so so I, I, I think that might set us apart as our views on things. I know he's a Democrat, more liberal than I am. I'm a little more conservative than him, but it doesn't mean you can't work with the other team. You have to work with the other team. And when I th- think about Reagan, I think about Reagan and Tip O'Neill, that famous uh, duo. And I think that even President Bill Clinton was really good working both sides and talking to people because that's what it takes. It doesn't matter what letter you have. If, if, if you are so far apart that you can't get this close together, and that's something else, John, uh, when I go to Juno, and when I go to Juno, you've got a far right 10% that can be a little off the, off the, you know, off the chain, you got a far left 10% that can be off the chain, and those two groups never talk, they throw rocks, and those of us in this middle 80, I call it, we just dodge the rocks. So the, these, these extremes don't get much work done. I think centrists and people who are willing to come together near the middle, at least partly to the middle, it won't be 50-50 all the time, could be 70-30-80-60-40, they get the work done. And that's what I want to do. So when I'm talking to folks at their doors, you know, they'll say, what are you going to do? How are you going to communicate with people? And I just say the same way I always did here, call the other folks. Um, and keep in mind, too, I was mayor during some pretty tense years. You know, we had oh, yeah. uh, some protests and I met with those groups. I talked to them and said, listen, I I got no problems with what you want to do. But let's talk about being civil and polite and have good discourse. And I led the city through a pandemic and I had people on both sides of me yelling what to do. And so I just did what I thought was best by communicating to the public. Yeah, I think a lot of times um, in uh, especially now in this kind of polarizing place that we're in, um, it's for some reason only the the extreme sides get attention. And you know, Alaska, it's it, oftentimes people forget that there's more registered nonpartisans than there are registered Democrats or registered Republicans. And um, I believe that stat's still true. And uh, those people vote. And, uh, you know, I think there's something to be said for kind of your strategy behind 
um, listening to both sides. And, you know, if somebody were to turn on the news today, mainstream media, you would hear one side say, the other side's the most worst, horrible people in the world. Then you'd hear, you know, the other, you'd hear Fox News say that, and then you'd hear CNN say the exact same thing. And all we, and all, yeah, all we ever hear is basically the other side calling each other stupid. And uh, that's why nothing ever gets done. So I, well, I applaud your uh, your strategy. And, you know, it's going to be close, I think. I mean, I think I, I could be wrong, but I think you were only trailing by maybe 100 or so votes, 200 votes. Yeah, that's right. And it was only 20% turnout in the primary. And there's going to be more in the general. How much more, I don't know. I wish voting would get to 100% of everybody, but it doesn't. So will it be 30% turnout, 40, 50? I don't know because I've never run for a statewide race. I know in the city of Fairbanks, unfortunately, even though I won and I was grateful, uh, the turnouts were low. Yeah. That's just the way it normally goes. But this is a bigger year. You know, you're talking about a senator, a governor, a replacement. You know, Mary Petola is, Peltola is now the interim, I guess is what you call her, uh, acting. And then, you know, that's a big race. And then you've got uh, 20s, 40-some seats all over the state. Up. So I think it's going to increase. Even without a presidential election year, I think it's going to increase numbers, I hope. And if there's anything to be said for the Trump years and through the pressure years that we've had and this pressure cook we've been in, if there's anything positive that's come out of all this back and forth and negativity, it's really spotlighted voting a whole lot more. You hear voting talked about a lot more. And I'm all for that. I'm all for voting. In fact, that's what I told all my kids. I have six kids. You vote and you volunteer. You do those two V's. As a youngster, you volunteer all the time. You take the take the spotlight off of yourself and put it to someone else a little bit more, which I've tried to do here and vote. You got to vote and you have to vote because it does matter. If you don't think of one vote matters, just talk to Bart Lebon and Catherine Dodge, go talk to them if they, and they'll tell you two votes counted yeah. in that one. Yeah. Two votes. They won what? That was, was a... one, it was a one vote split. And if you don't vote, so if you support John and you don't support Jim and, and you don't vote, uh, you, you voted kind of for the other team. You know, you, you, can't, you can't waste your vote and you need to vote. You need to do your homework on the people. You'll never align 100% with everything anyone says, but you should find the person you relate to the most and who stands for most of the things that you stand for. So vote, it's so important. So anyway, that's what I spend my time talking to the public about. Nice. And you know, people will say, you know, I didn't agree with what you did here, but by golly, you know, you've talked to me, you're polite to me. You, you heard me out. And that's why local politics has set me up perfectly for working down in Juneau. It really has. So how does somebody get in touch with your campaign? Let's say they want to volunteer or, you know, cut you a, a check or make phone calls for you. Tell us what your website is, how somebody gets in touch with you. Where are you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Yeah, thanks, John. One of the best things I did was 15 years ago, I bought my domain name. So uh, jimmatherly.com, which is easy. And that's both M's, J-I-M-M. So and there you can donate and sign up. You can Facebook message me all day long. I return every single message. I call every single person back. If you leave a phone number every single time, uh, with the exception of one or two, you know, I, I rarely forget to call anyone back. Uh, Jim Matherly for State Senate at gmail.com is an email. You can email me, Jim Matherly for State Senate, and that's all spelled out. You don't need to worry about Alaska in there. 
uh, you can email me and I'll always reach out to you and answer questions to the best of my ability. I don't make up answers. And if I don't know the answer, I'll try to look it up. But part of the reason I want to go to Juno is to become more familiar with how the state works on a larger level. I know the local level. Now it just makes good sense to go up to the state level. Uh, and I'll tell you what someone told me in the primary, John, it was pretty interesting. They said, Jim, you're going to go from one of seven voices because there's six on the council plus me I can vote to. Uh, tiebreakers and stuff. So I'm, I'm one of seven voices affecting 30,000 lives to going one of 20 people in the Senate affecting 700,000 lives. Yeah, That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And unless you're willing to come and talk to people like this, or if you stay way out here, that doesn't work well for the masses. If you're totally extreme and immovable, you will not, that's not good for the masses as a whole. Then your tunnel vision, you have got to open up that tunnel or just stay, or just don't run for elected office if you don't like working with people. And I love working with people, even angry people uh, I, I try to learn from. Yeah, one of the things that I found very quickly when I became, uh, when I worked at the uh, chief of staff for the Kenai Peninsula Borough is, you know, so oftentimes I'm a conservative. We, uh, you know, we fire shots off the bow uh, at government you know, often. And, uh, you know, we talk about bloated budgets and wasteful spending and all those kinds of things, which I think, you know, are are important. But at the end of the day, what I found out is just normal people working at the borough trying to do the best that they can do. There's no real conspiracy other than it's just a bunch of folks doing their jobs. And just like any other um, company, there's going to be good and bad employees, but for the most part, a bunch of great folks doing what they can to make the borough a better place. And I think we've missed the human element sometimes as we talk about these kinds of things. I've said that a million times. I, I am not the smartest guy at the city, nor am I the most skilled at the city. That's the 200 employees that work for the city, because I'm not going to come plow your road or come to your aid with a fire truck. That's the, that's the fire department and the police and public works. So I know I'm there as the leader for them and I cheerlead them. And I've had to let a few people go and, and that's fine because it may not be the best fit, but you're right. The human element has to take a role, uh, no matter what. If you don't like people, then don't run for politics. It's pretty simple. But if you like people and you're compassionate and you're a good listener, then politics is a wonderful profession. It is truly wonderful and rewarding. And I just love the work. I really love it. Well, Jim, uh, Mayor, I really appreciate you joining us on the Must Read Alaska show. For folks that are wanting to check out his campaign, we'll put the link in our um, episode as we post it to iTunes and Spotify and iHeartRadio and the list goes on. So uh, thanks again, Mayor, for joining us. Good luck in your race. And until next time from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick signing off. Thanks again, Mayor. Appreciate it. Thanks, John.